0: Welcome to Money Making Conversation. I am your host, Rashawn McDonald. It is important to stop reading other people's success stories and really start writing your own. I always typically people to leave with their gifts, meaning to leave with your passion, your, your belief of what you want to do. And don't let your age, friends, family, or co-workers stop you from planning or living your dreams. My interviews I do on Money Making Conversations consist of celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. My next guest is Lindsay Davis. She is a best-selling author of The World is Awake and One Big Heart. In February, Lindsay was tapped to anchor the weekend broadcast of ABC News World tonight. And she, is all, all, and she also Anchors ABC News Lifetime Live Prime, excuse me, the network streaming even newscast. She's also correspondent for World News Tonight, Good Morning America 20, 2020, and Nightline. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, the anchor of ABC's Weekend World News Tonight and ABC News Live Prime, Lindsay Davis.
1: Rashawn, thank you so much for
0: having me on. I, I try to get it all in. I, I try to get it all yeah, in. You make because, me sound really busy when well, you know, I am. The, but. <laughs> the, the, th- the thing about it, Lindsay, is wear a lot of hats. You know, we, we, the thing about it, I've been in this business long enough to see faces like yours that are not normal. They're normal now, but you know, one pint in this time in this industry, they weren't normal, especially a female sure. face being normal. Uh, you know, Ed Bradley was our man at one time. Right? Yeah. And then so as you start ascending, that's why I wanted to make sure people saw the body of your work. And this is only a small body of your work, but it's an important body of your work. Which you as a host, as an anchor, get to articulate our stories. And I'm pretty sure in 2020, as an African-American— As a female and some of the stories that were put out there, how were you able to balance the actual reporting of the news and then the detachment of what you were reporting?
1: Well, you know what? Look, it's always about the facts. And I think that it's also about uh, knowing what you don't know. And so I think that when you don't have a lot of variation, a lot of variety of perspectives and lenses and experiences at the proverbial table, um, then you're missing some of the nuance to the story, right? And some of the the relevant facts um, get thrown aside. And so um, I don't think that I'm, uh, coloring it, if you will, with with anything, except that I do come with the, the perspective and the experience of, of being a Black woman in America. And so I think that I may have certain questions that I'm going to ask or that I'm going to lean into based on uh, my own experience. Um, and I, I think of, as you talk about how We haven't had many people who look like me. That was why it was so important on my first night when I uh, assumed the the chair of Weekend World News tonight on Sundays, I had uh, an interview that I did with Carol Simpson, who was the first Black woman to anchor Mm -hmm. any network uh, newscast uh, back in the 80s. And, you know, I look forward to the day, my son is seven, and I look forward to when he grows up that we won't still be talking about, well, this was the first or the second, right? Because hopefully the idea and the ideal Will be that enough people at that point would would have ascended to various ranks that it just becomes, oh, another person, right? and right. And so for my son, I, I really do look forward to where it becomes so commonplace that we're not still counting. You know, the first or, or
0: the second. You know, it's really interesting, uh, especially entertainment. You know, uh, I remember when Steve Harvey now I, back, way back in 93, when he had his first opportunity, ABC offered him his first sitcom. I remember he came to me and said, ABC wants me to do a sitcom. I went, you? Sick of because it was just it was just so far I could not uh, even fathom somebody I knew black man he was a comedian popular comedian was being offered a, a TV show on ABC mm-hmm. it was a pilot at the time and then I fast forward and as you're aspiring to these heights of wanting to be on the news wanting to deliver the news be a face of the news a face in media what was that what was that journey like in college and your friends and your peer groups when you telling them this is what you wanted to do. Sure.
1: You know, I think that I've had the luxury or the benefit of having, especially within my own uh, my own home. And so not just my parents, um, but in the extended family as well, where there was an expectation that you could do what you wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And so I never felt limited or constrained because of my race or gender, because there was a mindset that If you want to do it, if you want to run for president, run for president. Mm -hmm. You know, no one was really telling me the likelihood of success or how it was going to be so much more difficult or so much harder or no one has done this before or whatever. It was just like, hey, you want to do that? here's some tools we're gonna give you some exposure some uh, opportunities and you run with it and you take it as far as you can and so when I decided when I was in college that I wanted to become a journalist uh, at the time uh, in particular a reporter um, you know my parents were just like okay what do we have to do what do you have to do and so <laughs> at the time you still had to get a college credit for an internship and and I had missed that opportunity because I was about to graduate I was at University of Virginia so then I, I, I did what I, I've, I've told some subsequently, that I had my parents pay $50,000 so I could get an internship because I went to NYU for, for grad school to get a master's. You don't need to have a master's to be a journalist. But at the time, I needed to get that extra year in order to get an internship and to get credit for it. Um, and so uh, I, I would say that anything that I, I needed, my parents were there, right, along with me, anticipating that, you know, if I wanted to do this, it could be done. And my friends never batted an eye. I mean, I, I think that there was just this mindset of if you, you know, work hard and put your mind to it, you know, you can uh, achieve. And so I'm, I'm glad that I didn't have, um, the naysayers, uh, too loudly in my
0: ear. <laughs> but you know, they are they are there. I was just reciting some of my experiences. I remember when I left IBM to pursue a career as a stand-up comedian. Of course it's totally opposite from the news. People look you you gonna be a comedian. I thought I would be the next Eddie Murphy or somebody somebody yeah. great like that. Richard Pryor had it, nobody could ever be him. He was like the Michael Jordan of comedy. But right, then yes. but you know but it was, it was always, you know, people was, didn't stand in my way, but they always went, okay, okay. But then you start seeing little little steps along the way, little crumbs of opportunity that became a reality. And then people started realizing, and you started, and I started realizing, you know, I, I think I can really do this. Because even though you can dream something, that doesn't mean it's going to come true. So right. as you were starting to go up, the, like you said, you did the intern, you went up to NYU and, and, you know, got the master's. But when did it start really starting to fall, start to fall in place for you, Lindsay?
1: Sure. I mean, you know, I think that there are a lot of baby steps and and milestones along the way. And I was uh, just a a self-starter in a way that I would say, okay, I'm going to by the time I'm 25, I want to be in a top 25 market. Right. By the time I'm 30, I want to be at the network. And I made both of those, one, the first goal by the skin of my teeth, because I, I was just about to turn 25, and I made it to Indianapolis, which was the 25th market. Um, but then, you know, a few months shy of my 30th birthday, I made it here to, to ABC News, and I've been here now for uh, about 14 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say when I was local news, I was able to make a lot of jumps. So I, I started out in Syracuse, it was market like 81, then I went to Flint, Michigan, it was market 64, then I went to Indianapolis, market 25. And so I was able to make a lot of those um, jumps based on, you know, my own goals that I'd set. And I would say once I got to the network, it was a little bit harder to set a milestone or set a goal and, and then achieve it because, you know, a lot of the people who make it here are very talented, right? And, right. and in some cases there are some sharp elbows or in some cases they may have better relationships or they may just be better positioned for, you know, opportunity or for growth. And so I, I think that that did become um, a struggle for me, kind of finding my way once I got here to the network. But I would say when I was given the opportunity in September 2019 to be one of the moderators at uh, the Democratic debate, that was career-changing. That that moment, um, and then I went on to, to uh, moderate another debate again with with David Muir and George Stephanopoulos in February of the following year of 2020. And uh, in both cases, you know, people gave very good feedback and, <laughs> and reviews of, of, of my work um, sitting there at the, as a moderator. And I think then that was the moment where people thought, oh, wow, you know, you can really do this. Now, that was many years <laughs> in, right? Uh, right. It, it's a right. game uh, that, that I finally kind of got that recognition that, that I believed that I was capable of, but, you know, was really kind of waiting for the opportunity.
0: Well, you know, it's really interesting. Uh we all in- involved in journeys and we're all involved in trying to reach those dreams. And then but then then it's there's sacrifice, like you mentioned Indianapolis, you mentioned Syracuse. I remember when I left, I, I, I immediately got married, and then I moved to New York, and my wife was a she's still an optometrist. She stayed in Houston. And so so I'm living in New York and then I moved to LA and I lived there and she still was staying in Houston. So there are sacrifices we all make. And and those sacrifices, right. uh, a lot of people might call them selfish, but they're part of the goals. They're part of the path that you gave. And then you said, Rashad, that was instrumental when you did the the debates. How, yeah. first of all, how did, he, how did the opportunity come to you? And then how did you prepare for that opportunity? Because you knew it was big.
1: Yes. Um, well, I think that in part it was due to the Democratic National Committee because they had set uh, some rules, basically, so that to prevent— uh, the moderator panels from uh, not being diverse. They they set uh, some prerequisites, basically where you had to have diversity by gender or by race. And so um, I think because ABC had already decided that they were going to have you know David and George and that first debate in September that we had for ABC was going to be at an HBCU and so i think that there was probably a, a feeling no one ever told me i wasn't in the room when the decision was made <laughs> that that i would be you know the third moderator but uh, I would have to imagine that that both of those played into it. Um, look, I would say that I probably never prepared more for anything in my life <laughs> than I had for that first debate in September of two thousand and nineteen. You know, I, I I was kept trying to minimize it in my mind so that I wouldn't over hype myself and 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 the let the anxiety uh, run too wild. Um, but I, I it was September, and so August, leading into it, I I remember I'd had a pre-planned vacation and I was on the beach with a big three, two, three ring binders, (laughs) um, just studying and researching and reading and preparing. And um, it was a lot. Uh, But the benefit of it was that by the time uh, that date came in September, I felt prepared. And I think that that preparation gave me confidence. That in prayer, I got to say, right? But Um, but I felt that I was ready on that day and leading up to it, I I wasn't so sure, but I think that there's, you know, the, the preparation was key and, you know, I, I couldn't express to anyone, you know, for whatever kind of position you have, right. No, No matter what kind of field you're entering into, I think that
0: there's nothing that beats feeling like you're ready. I know it's, it's, uh, and even when you're ready, there's that fear. That you're not ready, yeah, sure. and sure. and so and and as you go along and you start building this brand and let let, let me step back and just talk about. News in general, because I'm kind of confused as to what is news and what is commentary, you know. And like, what I think this is my perception. What I think, what I see on Fox is is, is commentary, or and I want you to educate me too. And it's I, I think sure. what, what I see you do. What I see, you know, the the Lester Holtz and the David Mears of the world. You're doing news to me. What I see a lot of times on on CNN and what I see on uh, Fox is a lot of commentary. Am I wrong in saying that? Or it's a blend of news and commentary?
1: You know, I would say wherever you're hearing a lot of opinions, then that's more editorialized, right? That Mm -hmm. is more commentary. And so that's, I guess, up to the viewers to decide, you know, how they want to hear their news presented. Do they want to just get the facts, ma'am, so to speak? Or do you want to hear more of what you already think, you know, for that to be reinforced by the programming that you watch? Um, And, you know, uh, Fox News, for example, has great ratings. And so I think that in a lot of cases, people do want to hear and get their ideas seconded and get support for, you know, certain arguments. Um, that they believe are are true and they may be true you know uh that that's again up, up to the viewers to to really decide but you know my understanding and and what i learned in journalism school was always about just presenting what cannot be debated really right and so certain facts of let's say a house fire um cannot be distorted or changed based on your opinion you know, it was either a three alarm fire or it was not. It, really, right. it either went up in flames at twelve o'clock on Brady Avenue or it did not. And so there are certain um uh styles, I guess, that that some of the networks take, um, especially the cable news outlets take. But um, but for us it is very much just what the, the facts, the, the facts, facts of, of the facts. whatever it is that we're presented.
0: Now, I mentioned two of your children's books at the top of your intro. And now you have a third one that came out, stayed This Way Forever, came out in February of this year. How, how did that develop? How did you, the, the, you know, I, I'm going to just say that you're hard-charging uh, news, the, the facts, <laughs> ma'am, just the facts, ma'am, to a children's, a popular, best-selling author in the children's genre. How did that come about?
1: So, I again, I have a son who's seven. And um, when I was reading books to him early on, I was thinking, boy, I could do this. And over time, that could became should. I should do this because I was having a hard time finding uh, books that had characters who look like him. And, and I felt that that was really important. And while in general terms, you know, the news industry is very different from, you know, authoring children's books, at the heart, at my center, I consider myself to be a storyteller. And so um, I felt like it wouldn't be that much of a stretch for me to kind of let my creative juices flow and talk about the good news really and uplifting because quite often what I do with news, which was also kind of part and parcel to this because my son would want to see mommy doing the news. And I felt like, you know, quite often the subject matter of what we're talking about is just too much for um, a young person like he is at this, at this young age. And so writing books, I felt was something that I could just share with him 100% without any kind of Filter or concern about the messaging that was being, you know, instilled in him. But I could use it as a tool to inspire him. And so um, initially, I really focused on the mirror aspect. You know, there was an essay a while ago that talked about how you need mirrors windows and sliding glass doors in all children's books. The idea of mirrors so kids can see themselves reflected in the pages of a book's windows so they can perhaps peer into a world that's unfamiliar to their own. And if that sliding glass door is to really be effective, it can serve as a way to transport them into an unfamiliar world. So with the first book, it was really a matter of, OK, let me provide more mirrors for my son. But ultimately, it really became about, and this was before George Floyd and the first book the is, was the, the was so-called it, racial reckoning. Lizzie, was that I, the
0: uh, was that the the one big heart or the world is awake? Which one's the was the first one?
1: The first one was the world is awake.
0: Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. The
1: second one was one big heart, and mm-hmm. that was where I really talked about the need for, or I, I felt the need for windows in the book so that kids would be able to. be exposed to kids who don't look like them, because I think quite often parents look at books that have black black and brown characters and they think, oh, they're just for black and brown children. That couldn't be further from the truth, really, because it does no benefit to your child if they're only seeing mirrors all around them, right? And they only see their own reflection in their books and in their toys and in their neighborhood and their church and their place of worship or you know school or place of worship. And so I felt like parents can start with books and with toys, that they're looking to expose themselves or expose their children to more diverse people. And this was something that you heard, especially during the summer and the so-called racial reckoning, where parents were saying, you know, what kind of conversations can I have? How can I raise more empathetic children? And I think you can start by giving them a book that has a character who doesn't look like them, right? Mm -hmm. And My son has such a diverse book collection that he never talks about the race of of the characters who are in the books. And I I would venture to say that most kids won't, you know, parents will often say like, oh, kids don't see color. Kids do absolutely see, do see color. They just don't assign a value to to color. You know, it's adults who do that. Um, But I think that early on, if they're all uh, used to and accustomed to seeing a variety of shades and hair colors and features in their books, they're, they're not going to point out it as being so foreign and unusual because they're used to being exposed to it. So that's now what I, I kind of shifted from, in addition to focusing on the mirror, I, I've found additional value in the window as well.
0: Now, the Stay Away Forever, that, that's the third book, Stay This Way yes. Forever. What is that? What, what, what line of communication are you trying to get out through that book? Yeah,
1: so... So stay this way forever is really any parent I think will relate. Um, who, who's ever thought, boy, I wish I could just freeze this moment in time and press the pause yes. button and, <laughs> you know, savor these moments mm. that, you know, are fleeting, right. That are going to uh, leave the, 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 the playground of childhood and, uh, one thing that I would say there, you know, half the things that, you know, your kids are going to outgrow. But I would also venture to say there are a lot of qualities that you hope that they bring with them into adulthood. So, you know, my son's curiosity or his creativity and his joy, you know, all the nights that he says, tells me his plans for the next day. And sometimes he'll say tomorrow is going to be the best day ever. And I, I hope that he keeps that with him into adulthood where he's excited about the possibilities of of tomorrow. But this was really kind of um, a way of journaling all the different moments because you never know when it's going to be the last time that a child, you know, falls asleep in your lap or reaches for your hand to hold uh, or the pitter patter of feet before they, you know, jump in bed with you in the morning. And so this was kind of uh, paying tribute to all the different stages of childhood. And the theme that has kind of been consistent through my books is the idea of love. The first book is basically know that you're loved by God. The second one is love each other, you know, love your neighbor. And this one is know you're loved by your parents or your grandparents. And I hope that kids will read it and not only know that they're loved, but just how much they're cherished and adored. And and especially for the cute little, little things that they do at these various stages of childhood.
0: I, my daughter, she's 23 now. And I always remember, I always tell her my favorite moment, one years old when she was just laying on my chest. She hadn't yet had the ability to push off. She just fell asleep. So I know exactly. And and listen, as you go through that moment, it just takes me back to a place where, you know, I, I. I, I'm glad my daughter's grown, but it's always yep. those precious moments of, of being able to experience when trying to sit her up to take pictures, and the spine wasn't strong enough, and you had to yes. put pillows on both sides to get that picture that you want to, to that will stay with you forever. And uh, but I, I wanted to uh, before I w- get out of here, I wanted to say like you have a lot of rhymes in your book. Now I grew up with yes. function, function, what's your junk? Compunction. Yes. So what are, are these rhymes? And that's, that that little flavor there that you that we can go read out loud, your little rhymes in the book we're gonna we one day function function for uh, sure come on now come on let's what we got here these rhymes are you rapping or I love oh, what it we got? I love it so I, growing up the
1: books that I read you know Shel Silverstein and Dr. Seuss they were rhyming books Absolutely. and so I just wanted Green to head stay head, kind head. Of in that, hey. that
0: genre. Mm-hmm hmm I, I love it. I, I, my whole thing. I just wanted to give my audience a look at you, your, your special talent. Let's let's put it that way. And then, and, and how did you get there? I want. I'm glad you are willing to share a part of that story, how you get there, because so many people just see the end results, and and the sure. end results doesn't really tell the journey. And like I said I have a journey, and uh, Stephen A. Smith has a journey, Steve Harvey has a journey. So many people like Nick Cannon has a journey. It's a great job you did on Soul of a Nation with that interview yeah. with him, and that, and I love seeing you, and I want to see more interviews out of you great and pulling out information and very uncomfortable information and maintaining a very comfortable environment. When you get in those situations, tell my audience as we close out this interview, what are you trying to accomplish the most when you're doing sit-down one-on-one interviews?
1: You know, I'm a very curious person by nature. And so anybody can go and Google somebody and kind of see a bio or some statements they've made. But I really want to know what was beyond that. You know, what motivates you? What caused you to say that? What caused you to feel that way? Help us to understand and explain, you know, beyond just the, the superficial surface stuff that we see. So I really want to engage. I want to have in-depth conversation, um, I, I always say in my personal life, I never know what questions are appropriate or not, because in, in my professional work life, I'm able to kind of delve in and ask whatever. Um, but I, I love having that kind of uh, interaction and, and engagement with with someone just to, to help us as humans yes. and just get to understand why people think or feel or say the things that that we do. I think that it's a benefit to us all when we hear, you know, the diverse um, perspectives that are out there.
0: Well, I want to thank you, Lindsay, for coming on my show, Money Making Conversation, and sharing your story. And again, I the book, uh, please tell your people to send me some. Uh, I got a weekly newsletter that goes out to 90,000 people every Thursday at 9 a.m. Okay. And I got a little popular social media following, over a million. I'd love to post uh, your book and your banners just to additionally put out the brand of you, because you are a great brand and your brand that a lot of young ladies, like my daughter, look up to. Okay.
1: Thank you so much, Rashawn. I appreciate you
0: talking with me. Cool. If you want to hear more or see any of my Money Making Conversation interviews, please go to moneymakingconversation.com or my YouTube channel. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I am your host. Thank you.